He still speaks. Good morning, church. Jesus is our eternal king. He came to earth as an infant. He grew up. He defeated sin. He defeated death. And we someday await his eternal reign, his coming again. And that is something to look forward to. Amen. His word tells us in 1 Timothy 1.7 that he is the eternal king, the unseen one who never dies. He alone is God. Revelation 1.5 says he is the faithful witness to these things. The first to rise from the dead, the ruler of all kings of the world, all glory to him who, look at this, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. Church, he is, Jesus is, the eternal king. Came as an infant because he loves us. He loves us so much that he died for us. And again, I, I might be repeating myself on some of this, but it's worth repeating. These are truths that we need to let soak in. And sometimes we, we pass by them so often, we say them over and over. He came as an infant, but we know that when he returns the second time, it will be as a warring almighty king. Again, driven by love, but it'll be a final celebration. And we look forward to that. But church, let me give you a different picture. We've talked about the manger. We've talked about the return of Christ. But there's another picture in the Bible. And only because I'm sort of familiar with this recently, but I've done many of these. But that is a wedding. The Bible uses a wedding to show us the return of Jesus as well. Why not? Because weddings are what? Nothing but love wrapped up in a ceremony, right? When Jesus returns, it's going to be like the groom coming for the bride. The bride, by the way, is us, the church. You see, there's a big difference, though, today between today's Western culture and an Eastern culture wedding. There's a difference between today's wedding ceremony and a wedding ceremony that maybe we read about in biblical times. Basically, the easiest thing for us to do is this. Just reverse the roles. And they'll make a little bit more sense. See, in the Bible, the bride waits for the groom. Today, the groom waits for the bride. We know how it works. The groom comes out of the side door with the pastor and all the other men, and they stand up front. And he stands there in the middle of the aisle wearing a tux that somebody else wore the week before, that somebody else wore the week before, that somebody else wore the week before. Meanwhile, the bride dressed in an eloquent new dress that nobody else will ever wear. The doors open, the light shines, and the music plays. Meanwhile, we had elevator music playing for the groom, and he came walking in, right? True story. But the bride, she comes in in an incredible fashion. Today, the bride gets all the attention, doesn't she? Well, clearly, it's about the bride. Yet in the Bible... It's about the groom. The groom is defined. The groom gets the attention. The book of Revelation describes the grandest of all wedding scenes. But the groom, it says, it says this. Let us be glad and rejoice. Let us give honor to him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the lamb. The groom. 
and his bride has prepared herself. It's the wedding of the lamb, the groom, not the bride. But we sort of get confused with that because of what we're used to today, right? A couple of verses later, the Apostle John writes this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. Again, the spotlight is firmly fixed on the groom, who is Jesus. In John 3, John the Baptist is settling an argument. They're talking to him about his role, and they're like putting a spotlight on John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is like, it's not about me. It's not about me. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3. And there, um, we're going to start verse 28 and just come to this if you want. You can read it. We'll put it up on the screen. But he uses imagery again to sort of set things straight. He says this, You yourselves know how plainly I told you. I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It's the bridegroom, the groom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand there and to hear his vows. Therefore, I'm filled with joy at his success. He must become greater. I must become less and less. John the Baptist saying, listen, listen, it's not about the bride. It's about the groom. I'm just a friend of the groom. It's not even about me. It's about the groom. And he makes that interesting statement, but here's the problem. Over the years, the church has shifted things. We have flipped things. It's no longer about the groom. It's about the bride, the church. We just sang a heart of worship, and that was written by Matt Redman about 20 years ago, I think it was. And, and basically that song came out of a church era when it became all about the band, the music was starting to hop and it was getting exciting. There's a younger generation of church people that were coming in and they were so excited about the music and how it was playing and, and it became all entertainment and exciting. And the pastor of a church said, no. And he told the worship leader, Matt Redman, and, and the others like, we're not going to have drums. We're not going to have a sound system. We're going to have a church service without all of this. And after a few weeks of this going... That song, Heart of Worship, was born. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things that it's become, right? It became all about us, the bride, instead of the groom. Again, this is biblical terminology when we, we look at this. But the bride exists for the groom, not the other way around. And church, we're the bride, we're the bride and we are awaiting the groom. We are waiting for the return of our king with expectation and glory. Amazingly, though, Jesus, our groom, he first came to this earth without attention, without a parade, without a fanfare. Nobody rolled out the red carpet or pulled the runner. He just came in a lowly manger. And you know why he came? He came out of love very simple. It was, it was love. We've talked about how Jesus came to bring hope and peace and joy, but he came to bring his love. We all need that, don't we? 2020 has been rough. You guys remember last week, if you were here or you watched online, Brian said, get out a piece of paper, write down all the bad things, the rough things in 2020. Many of you were doing that. You were scribbling away. I was going to do that, but here's the thing. I don't have, you remember computer paper that you would feed in and it was all attached to each other and it just ran? 
I would need a ream of that to write down 2020 for me. I would just like scroll down, right? It's been rough. But you know what? That's why Jesus came. He covers all of that. Whatever you wrote down on that paper, whatever I would have written down on that paper, he covers that with his love. It's so incredible. And I need his love. I, see, here's the thing. I'm incapable of producing love on my own. Oh, you got to love them more. You know how hard it is to love somebody more when you have no love in you? See, we are incapable of truly loving people the way they need to be loved without the proper source of love in us. Love came down. We need that love. Let me, let me help you with a better illustration maybe from Christmas because it's Christmas time, five days and counting, a little bit of excitement going on around here, right? But one of the decorations is a Christmas tree. And I know I've used this illustration before, but I want you to think about this. The Christmas tree is highly decorated, and it's put where in your house? In the living room where everybody sees it? If you've got a big picture window, it's put in the picture window so people outside can see it as well. We want everybody to see the Christmas tree, so it's put in that room. Nobody puts it in their bedroom on the second floor, down in the basement, in the closet, right? You might have a secondary tree, but most often it's in the middle of the room for everyone to see, right? And we just adore it, right? We, we, we put everything underneath it. We decorate with everything we got. We sing songs about the Christmas tree, right? Oh, Christmas tree, right? We sing songs about the Christmas tree. But let me give you another picture, okay? Here's what we don't have in our house, and that is a fruit tree, right? Nobody puts a fruit tree in their house, at least not that I know of. Nobody's grown, nobody dug a hole through the foundation of their house and planted a fruit tree and it's grown up and it's like, hey guys, come on, check out my orange tree. It's going right in my living room. I've got lights on it. I got a star on top. Matter of fact, the is so wide. I got 10 stars all over. It's just, it's just pretty incredible, right? Nobody has that, right? Nobody's singing, oh, orange tree, oh, orange tree. No? Nobody's seen that? See, that's what I'm saying. See, it's all about the Christmas tree. But which tree, which tree is alive and which tree is dead? Ah, see, the fruit tree, fruit tree's alive, right? Christmas tree is dead. You know why it's dead? It's been cut off at the bottom. It's been severed, right? And then we, you know, being trying to be smart Americans that we are, we try to put in a tree stand, and typically like ours, Boom, you know, timber. Uh, it doesn't always stay. Why is it? Because it's been cut off. It's been severed. So we got to figure out how to get it set back straight. And that's not always the easiest, but we do, right? But it's cut off. It's dying. In a couple of weeks, I could go to Taco Bell, get some fiery hot sauce, spit on my tree. <laughs> it's just going to blow up, right? Because it's dead. It's dying. And you guys know that the challenge is, I don't want a real tree in my house. Why? It's not because it doesn't look good or cost more. It's because when you go to take it out of your house, there's pine needles everywhere. Really, if there was a great fashion just to throw a torch in there just and be gone, oh, it would be such easy cleanup, right? But we can't do that. But the fruit tree, ah, fruit tree is still growing because it's firmly rooted into the soil, Right? Christmas tree. Christmas tree is all concerned about itself. Really, it is. Hey, everybody, look at me. I'm getting all the attention. I'm in the picture window. I'm in the middle of the room. Everybody, look at me. Look at my, look at my star on top. Look at my presents underneath. Bring more to me. It's all about me. Sometimes uh, the Christmas tree represents our ego. Sometimes it gets a little too big, right? And it just sort of explodes out of the house. I saw this picture somewhere. Um, they can pop up. I don't know. This thing's not working the greatest for me right now. 
little help back there, maybe? All right, maybe not. All right, well, there is a beautiful tree uh, shooting through the ceiling, uh, the roof of a house. There we go. Yeah, that's, that's sometimes our ego right there, just sort of busting out of ourselves. And it's all about me, right? Fruit tree. However, although it looks dormant, boring, you know what it's doing? It's producing fruit. It's producing fruit. The fruit tree is to the point where it just says, take from me. It doesn't say, look at me. It says, take from me. Go ahead, have some. That's the fruit tree, right? And we, I'm going to say this, me personally speaking, are really so much like the Christmas tree. I hate to say it, but I know I can be. I tend to be the selfish person. Um, I've sort of been born with that nature, right? Um, Seeking to be loved, and why not? I mean, don't we all want to be loved? I want to be loved. But the problem is, I've cut myself off from God when I become very selfish. You know, looking at Scripture, open up your Bibles to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 15, Jesus has scripture here that is um, significantly important here. He says this, he goes, Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Are you, are you seeing the Christmas tree and the fruit tree? The Christmas tree has been cut off. It's, it's apart from its roots. Jesus says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You're like that Christmas tree. You're cut off. You can't grow. And that's sort of sad because when we're connected to Christ, like the fruit tree, we're nourished, we're growing. And then you know what happens inside us. Paul puts it like this, Galatians 5.22. He says, but the Holy Spirit produces in our lives love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Look at the first fruit that is produced here, the fruit of the Spirit. What's the, first, what's the first fruit? Love. Love. It's, I don't know if it's because maybe this is the, I'm just going to list them, and this one came out first, or is it because it's one of the most important ones? Love. First John 4.8 says this, But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. Did you hear that? God defines himself. You know who I am? Not what I'm like, but you know who I am? I'm love. God is love. God is love, and what he did for us is love. 1 John 4.10 says, This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. I mean, why would God love us? When you, when you look at this scripture, God's love and he loves us. And we sit there and say, why would he love us? Because we're not the most lovable people at times. I know I can have moments in my life where I'm probably not the most lovable. I get it, right? And he's not returning to love us because we first loved him. Quite the opposite. He loved us first. He doesn't love us because of anything we've done for him. Because any, has anybody in here done so many amazing things that God says, whoa, that's fantastic. I love you. 
wow, what you did for me, I love you. No. I don't think any of us can do anything that can add up and add up and make God love us more. He already loves us. He is love. He loved us first. And one of Jesus' greatest moments prior to his death, prior to his resurrection, he's with his disciples. And and he's going up to this upper room where they're going to have their last meal together. And I love what Scripture says. Scripture says, verse 1 says, Jesus showed his disciple his love to the very end. Another translation says, to the fullest extent. It's like Jesus says, you know, I've shown you love, and I've shown you love, and I've talked about love. Now, here it comes. To the fullest extent. What's he going to do? What could Jesus do for his disciples that doesn't say anything else but pure love? Well, here's what happens. Jesus is going to wash the feet of his disciples. See, back in again in this time, you'd walk through the streets, which are all dirt and mud and animal stuff on it, and open shoes means your feet are going to get pretty nasty. And when you come into the house, basically you're going to recline at a table because the tables were low, and you're going to recline, not like the ones you've seen in the paintings where they're all sitting there on one side, okay? They're reclined at a table on their arm, and somebody's feet is pretty much right next to you. So when you go into this room, you're going to have a servant there. There's going to be a basin of water and a towel. And they're going to wash your feet for you. That's what the servant does. But when Jesus came in, guess what? No servant. So Jesus, it says, showing the full extent of his love, gets up, removes his outer garment, and then he starts to wash the feet of those who would betray him, deny him, and run from him. He knows what kind of people we are. He knew what kind of people his disciples were, what they're going to do. And he says, I still love you. I know what you're like. I still love you. See, that was part of his mission. Mark 10, 45 says this, but even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus teaches us to love others by serving others, looking at their needs first. Again, we have this sinful, selfish nature in us. I will be the first to admit, when I drive down the road, I like unpopulated roads. Why is that? Because if somebody's driving 54 in front of me and it's a 55-mile-an-hour speed limit, I'm going to be annoyed. And if I try to pass them, they'll probably speed up. And then it's a competition because that's what guys do. And then I'm going to get mad at them. And then I'm going to be sinning in my mind against them. And then they're going to say, oh, look at the pastor passing me at this you know, neck-breaking speed, whatever, you know. And then, so yeah, I like unpopulated roads. Oh, I like having a remote in my hand. Why is that? Because I want to watch what I want to watch. Even though I'm in a room with people and I'm like, what do you want to watch? Hey, whatever you want to watch. In my mind, I'm going, I know what I want to watch, but... I'm a Christian, so i got to be nice to these people in my house, right? I like being able to listen to the radio station that I want to listen to. Like, what do you want to listen to? I don't care. I don't care either. Really, I know what I want to listen to. But again, I want to be nice. You hear what I'm saying? I'm right there, man. I've got the selfishness going in me. You know, weddings, you know why sometimes I don't like enjoying going to weddings? Because there's a dress code. There's a schedule. They tell me what food I'm going to eat. I'm sorry, but I like to be comfortable. I like to go where I want to go, and I like to eat what I want to eat, right? Oh, that cramps my style. 
gee, Rex, you're pretty selfish. Oh, I'm not done. Okay. <laughs> There's more about me that you just don't want to know, right? Last week, I'll give you an example. Mike Cullen, we're having a conversation. You're telling me about your mom baking, right? And he's telling me about his mom. Well, my mom's been baking all week. And what does selfish Rex do? Oh, Mike, my, my niece, she's an awesome baker. Look at the cookies she makes. Instead of, really, Mike, what is your mom baking? Tell me about it. See, it was all about me. I don't care what his mom is baking. Check out my niece's cookies. They're incredible, right? Man, I'm so selfish. That's just the way it is, right? We have this, that's part of our nature. But here's the thing. It isn't just that we have it. We encourage it. We really do. Now, parents, not to step on any toes, but here they come, okay? So what do we call our little girls growing up? Our little princess, right? Oh, this is our little princess and our little boys are, you know, I don't know, kings, princes, studs, whatever. But when we're in a store and like, I want, I want, I want, we're like, Oh, little princess. <laughs> Inside, we're saying, be quiet, be quiet, be quiet. You're embarrassing me, right? But outside, we're like, oh, my little princess, what do you want? You want, yeah, let's give you that because you're a little princess. See, we raise our kids to think that they deserve everything because I'm a princess or I'm a prince, right? So I deserve it. I'm being real with you here, right? I mean, isn't it true? We sort of encourage selfishness. Oh, I'm so, I'm so happy that you're such a selfish little child. Let me give you everything you want. That's just the way it is, right? Okay, so here's the thing, though. I am the first to say, I'm confession time, I can be selfish. I am selfish. And I have to learn sometimes to say, no. matter of fact, Brian had his tie. Remember the tie that Brian had last week for his joy? I brought my, my helper... I resurrected this from the, um, the drawer, I think maybe seven years ago, maybe on a church service. I brought this out. This is called my no pin. So parents, when your little princesses and your little kings and princes are saying, can I have, just pull out the... I said no. No pen. No. Well, dad, can I... No. How about... Uh, yeah, no. Um, no. No. So if you want one of these, find me afterwards. I'll tell you where I got it. But anyway... Actually, last time I used that pen, I did have somebody come up to me after church and say, where did you get it? I need some, right? It's so hard to say no. Why? Because we just do this. We want people to be happy. We want people what? To be loved. There it is. We just want love. The amazing thing in Scripture, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians is the New Testament, past Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians... There's a scripture that says this, chapter 5, verse 15. And I'm having you turn it, because you might want to underline this one. He died, that's Jesus, died for everyone, so that those who receive his new life, look at this, will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they'll live for Christ, who died and raised for them. Did you see why Jesus died? He came bringing hope, peace, joy, and love, right? And he died so that we'd stop living for ourselves. So we stop being selfish. He says, I'm going to establish a new kingdom. And it's not about your little princess and your little prince, okay? It's a new kingdom with a new king. Philippians chapter 2 says this, and starting in verse 2. Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. 
Be humble, thinking of others better than yourself. Don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. Jesus had the title. He had the power. He had the position. And what does he do? He says, I'm taking on the position of the servant. Verses 6 to 8 go on to say this. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born of a human being. And when Jesus appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God, and he died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all their names, that at the knee of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God created us in his image. And then his breath was blown into us. And then he met Moses on Mount Sinai. And then he met his people in the pillar of fire. And then in the tabernacle. Time after time through the Old Testament, basically we have this message. God says, I want to be with you. I want to be with you. I love you. I want to be with you. I created to have a relationship with you. And then we get to the New Testament. And God says, finally what? You know what? I'm just going to become flesh. And dwell with you. Jesus just doesn't show up and say, hey, I love you. He shows up and shows us his love. Why did Jesus wash their feet? He goes this in verse John chapter 13. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash each other's feet. I've given you an example to follow. Do as I have done for you. I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for listening to them. No, God will bless you for doing these things. See, Jesus washed their feet. He came to earth. Why? This is all one big word. It's called, again, love. Love is serving. Love is seeing the value of another person and saying, I know you got a title. I know you got a position. I know this. You know, we stack people in certain ways when we judge people and we look at them. But God says, just love them. Just serve them. He didn't do that to us. He didn't say, oh, let's see, Rex, where do you stand on the on the totem pole of being served. He just says, no, I just, I just love you. I know you're selfish, Rex. I love you. See, we children of God, we need to stay, going back to the tree picture, we need to stay connected to the vine. We need to stay connected to God and let him produce the love that God is love. His love is produced in us when we're connected to him. But when we're severed, when we're cut off, how can we love others when we're cut off from him? You know, we're living in a time when we as a church need to display love more than ever before. A pandemic and politics have caused unnecessary chaos and disunity, especially in the church. We have allowed an unseen virus and people in power 
two influences on how we love each other. No more. Church, God is love. His love is infused in us. Let His love direct us. Let His love show us how to serve others, to love one another. Love chooses to look at sin and basically said, I forgive you. So right now, we, we've, even in the church, we can become unforgiving because, well, look at them. They're not doing this. Look at them. And all of a sudden, as brothers and sisters in Christ, we've sort of pushed love to the side for our rights. Who pushed their rights aside for us and came to earth? Sin and selfishness strips us naked while love blankets us. Proverbs 17.9 says this, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. It does, doesn't it? You know, God's greatest gift to us was wrapped in humanity. Wrapped in humanity. Jesus came to show us his love, to demonstrate his love, and then infuse us with his love. The question is, will you, will I, will we accept this gift and open it up and use it? I need all the kids, and let's go fifth grade and down. If you're in fifth grade, fourth, third, second, kindergarten, any, anywhere below fifth grade, could you please come up here and have a seat on the stage? Just anywhere on the steps and spread out. Okay, just come on up. Spread yourselves out. We're going to sing for the church. No, I'm just kidding. Go ahead and spread out. Now, I'm going to sneak down, right? Oh, no, I'll go this way. Open spot right here. So, how many of you are looking forward to Christmas? Raise your hand. Christmas? Yeah. Looking forward to opening up the gifts, right? Uh, any of you have any presents underneath your tree right now? Some of you do? Good. Now, I'm not going to have you raise your hand on this one, so put them down. I wonder, don't, don't answer this, I wonder if anybody in here maybe saw their present underneath the tree and touched it, shook it. I told you not to raise your hand. <laughs> maybe opened it up and looked at it and then quickly taped it back up so mom and dad wouldn't know, right? Oh, it's so fun, isn't it, to have a gift? But, you know, it's really not a gift until you open it up and enjoy it, right? Well, the church wants to give each of you a gift today. So this is, I'm going to go around, and we're going to give each of you a gift Okay, and here's the, oop, hold on to that, it's a little heavy. The fun thing about this is, here you go, is that you can't open it right now. That's the fun part about this, right? Now, here's the thing, I will let you open it when your mom, and I'm going to let you grab them, when your mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, whoever you came with, when they say you can open it, then open it, okay? But until then... You can't open it. So the question is, is this really a gift that I'm giving you because you can't open it? It's not a gift until you open it, right? Because here's one of the things I love. So let me give you an example here. These are Reese's peanut butter trees. Oh, you think I'm handing these out too? You have one of these? These are one of my favorites. These are better than the cups. You know why? She has them too. They're the best because they don't have the ridges running. I mean, it's just smooth. And when here's the thing. I could, this is one of my favorites. I could put it in my pocket and leave it there. But that's no fun because until I open it up, I can't really smell the chocolate. 
I can't taste the chocolate melt in my mouth and I get to the peanut butter on the inside. <sighs> but what if I just leave it in a wrapper? That's no good. Exactly. It's like, what? That's no good, is it? We need to open it up and enjoy the gift, right? So when your parents say you can open up your gift, you can open up your gift. Sound good? Okay, before you go back to your seat, here's the thing. When church is all done today, there's a gift number two for you out in the lobby. Miss Jen will be out there, so make sure this is gift one. You got a gift two coming to you as well. Sound good? You guys can go have a seat. While they're having a seat, church, here's what I want to tell you. Each of us, each of us, have been given this gift from God, His Son, Jesus Christ. Wrapped in what? Snuggling cloths laid in a manger. God gave us His gift. But if we don't open it up, if we don't let His love infuse into our life, it don't matter. It just sits there, and that's no fun. The best part about these gifts is when they open them up and enjoy them. Church, I want to encourage you. Open up your hearts. Listen, the best way to use God's gift that he's given us is to first pray. We all in this room need to admit this, and we, maybe we've already done it. It doesn't hurt to do it again, but here's the thing. We all need to admit that we all have a sinful nature, a selfish nature, and we can't escape it. Just who we are, right? We have to admit our inability to run from sin, our inability to run from selfishness, and that we need Jesus to rescue us. And when we admit our sins, God forgives us. That's the first part of opening up. Here's the second part of opening up the gift. Once you open up that relationship with Jesus Christ, he says, now, get firmly rooted in me. Get firmly rooted in me. This is God's word. It isn't just a Bible. These are his words, his spoken words. When you open up, he breathes into you truth, life. And from his word, we are encouraged. We are able then to love one another. Pray. Admit it. Get to know him better in your word, in the word of God. That's my encouragement for you this, this Christmas. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. As they're coming forward, um, recently celebrated not just a wedding in our house, but a birthday. And um, I went out to, to eat on my birthday. He's excited about it. Um, I'm not sure... Why I haven't learned by now, I'm getting old enough to know that going out to eat on your birthday isn't the greatest thing. Um, you drive a long drive, and then you sit in the parking lot waiting for the text to come in to say, you can come inside because we're in COVID season, right? So I'd sent my, called, sent my text, and they said, five to ten minutes. Well, after 20 minutes of sitting there, I'm going, it's been more than five or ten, maybe five plus ten is 15, and no, it's still 20. Then 25 minutes, finally, it's like, I'm going to call. And I called as we've been sitting in the parking lot for 25 minutes. It's like, yeah, um, I'm calling for a party of three. Stump, what's your name? Stump, S-T-U-M-P. I always spell it out for everybody. It's so simple. But anyway, they're like, oh, no, we don't have you. You don't have me. You texted me, so you must have me. Do you have a confirmation? I sure do. Da, 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 da. All right. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead and come on up. Thank you. So I go up, then we get up there, and we start to go on, and this door, this window opens. Like, do you have a reservation? Uh, yeah, we just called in. What's the name? Stump, S-T-U-M-P. Okay, three, yeah. We don't have you here. I know. 
Um, and that's what I told the person on the phone. And do you have a confirmation? Yes, here it is again. What's your name, Josh? No, it's not Josh, even though I said it was Stump, but that's okay. Oh, we're sorry. You go ahead and come on in. Okay, thank you. Then you go sit in a restaurant, and it's dark, and it's actually sort of crowded, even though you know they're not supposed to be. And then I don't know how my food's going to come out, and there's people around. The music is loud, and I really can't see my food. And, and I couldn't order everything I single wanted. But And I sat there and thought, ooh, when am I going to learn that going out to eat on your birthday isn't all what it's cut out to be? Right? That's life in my house sometimes. But you know what? Even though that experience, and I still enjoyed it, I'm very thankful for it, okay? Don't get me wrong. But that didn't make my, even if everything would have went right, that wouldn't have made my day special. You, you know what, what I really liked about my birthday this year? The text messages, phone calls, emails, messages on social media. People said, hey, happy birthday, Rex. You, you know what felt good? To know that I was loved. Isn't that what we all want? We just want to be loved. And it feels good when somebody just says hi to you, right? It's really simple. We all want to be loved. And that's what God said. He goes, I know you want to be loved. That's why I, love, came to you. I love you. Now take my love and go love one another. Would you stand, please? Heavenly Father, what an amazing God you are. We all want to be loved, but sometimes our selfishness gets in the way, our sinfulness gets in the way, and we want to make it all about us. And God, sorry about that. It's not about us, the bride. It's about you, the groom. It's being connected to you and loving you. Thank you for first loving us. So God, with your love, help us to love one another, especially this Christmas season. When everybody seems to be on the edge, let us not forget that this is all about love, your love. Help us, Lord, to take that love, to love one another. We love you, Lord. We want to sing to you now. In thy name we pray. Amen.